Star Wars Rebels Season 4 press conference. Thank you for your patience. I know we're a couple minutes late, but we hope everyone just came from the pretty awesome panel. And we have most of our panelists here to take some of your questions, so let's bring out Dave Filoni, <laughs> Tia Sarkar, <laughs> Steve Blue, Vanessa Marshall, you know, a happy thing, a thing that exhilarates people, a thing that gives you hope. 
a thing that makes you feel like you can attack, attack the day better, a thing that inspires you, inspires kids. That's always been the, the goal that Simon and I had with this show, is to inspire all of you guys, and especially the kids in the audience. So I'm working towards you know, that end. It doesn't mean there won't be probably tragic things and difficult things along the way, but that's the journey of the hero and the journey of us all. So, you know, I think it'll be a good season. Hey Dave, uh, Christian Olaf from Cloud of Jedi Council. Wanted, last season you were asked, um, you had a definitive answer when you were asked about Vader. You said, well, we want to scale back on Vader because of, you know, we don't want to use him too much, we got Thrawn. Do you have a definitive answer this season about it? Are we getting more Vader or Emperor, perhaps? Mm. <laughs> not as definitive, no. Okay. Not as definitive, which is probably probably a good thing. Um, you get more Thrawn. <laughs> so I like Thrawn. Let's go with that. Okay. Hey guys, Lucas here. Hey. 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 See you all. Um, Taylor, I gotta ask you. I feel like uh, we haven't gotten to hear much of your perspective of Ezra's crazy amount of growth in season three because he really started in such a bad place at the start of season three and then by the end even knowing that the Lothal thing didn't quite work out mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> he he seemed so much more at peace and so much more resolved um, it, it, tell me a little bit about where he is going into season four having experienced all of that um, I think he matured the most through season three out of all the seasons thus far. Um, season two was really him toying with the dark side and seeing what possibilities lie there. But season three, there were also, I mean, the whole Mandalorian thing, and, and there was a, a selflessness that he's now learned, and I think that contributes to that piece that you're talking about. And, and as I had said at the uh, panel that we had done, Whatever that was awesome. I don't know what to call it, but um, see, it's geared up for season four. He's kind of in a place where he has to make a decision as to who he wants to be. But season three was a lot of realizing what his role was and seeing that sometimes he's gonna have to step up and, and burden all the responsibility that need be, and other times he's gonna sit back and Sabine will take over. And I, I think he's grown up a lot and matured, and that's been the fun part of playing his character, because if you look at the very first episode, he's come so far, um, and, and he's changed a lot, and it's, it's been super cool. So, season four is interesting because uh, a lot of decisions are made um, for Ezra. Hi, Chris from Star Wars Underworld. I, I feel like the previous animated projects like The Clone Wars, um, you guys had a lot of space to grow the show and the characters and mature over five, five and a half seasons. And I was wondering, with Star Rebels on XD, how do you balance growing the show and growing the characters and becoming more mature with also leaving it as a good entry point for all age demographics? It's tough, but it's Star Wars. And I think when Star Wars is successful, it's always hitting all demographics. I mean, it's been something since the very beginning that I think shocked people because you could go watch Star Wars theater in 77 and whether you liked fantasy or sci-fi or not, you enjoyed it. And part of that is the humor that Harrison brings to it. You know, the intensity that Carrie Fisher portrays and the kind of Luke Skywalker that's in everybody. And that just resonates with people. Uh, it could have been anything in Star Wars. My father really liked it because of the music. And he was a big opera 
person opera lover and symphony lover, and we related over that. It's connected at its core to the concept of family and watching it together as a family and experiencing the dynamics of the characters as family. So even though now we're in the fourth season, if you check it out, my hope is that you're engaged by the dynamics of these characters, that they make you laugh, that you worry for them. And if you haven't seen the previous seasons, you go, oh my gosh, I better go catch up on this, you know, and see what's going on. But you will still hopefully enjoy it. You know, I mean, if you watch Return of the Jedi and that's your entry point, you wonder if these little bears about and everything else, you know, um, you probably go back and watch, you know, A New Hope. Now, that was tougher back then because you couldn't really do that unless you had a Super 8 and you only got a cut down version of it. But, you know, now there are ways. Um, I always marvel at how the things that these characters talk about. You can literally drop in a DVD and now if you saw today's episode and talk about Satine on Mandalore, Bo-Katan's sister, well, you can go watch that. I did it. It's there. So we live in a strange time for continuity because it's all available. That also kind of changes the dynamic of the storyteller as well. Over here, Mike with the Weeby Geeks and Wookie Radio. Uh, Vanessa, we, we've seen in season one, season two, some tension, some relationship between her and Canon and Kanan. It develops a lot more and becomes a little more open season three. Has that been a relief? And how much more do we get with that going into season four? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't call it a relief, per se. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's obvious that they, they've had a connection and uh, that is explored further. And I think I probably should just leave it there. <laughs> um, but I think um, many fans who've been rooting for the space married oh, yeah. um, will, will find it <laughs> very moving. Yeah. What is he doing? <laughs> okay. Very good. Anyway, thanks for the question. <laughs> Hi, who's next? Oh, okay. Hi, I'm Sarah Woloski from Skywalking Through Neverland and Fangirls Going Rogue. And I have a question. I know our listeners love to hear about the Force, like the Mortis Armor and Clone Wars and stuff. And so my question is, are we going to explore the Force in that way and mythology a little bit more in season four? And especially regarding that white, white wolf we saw in the trailer, as well as the fate of Ahsoka. There's a wolf in the trailer. Where was the wolf? Is that was such a such a direct and daggered question. <laughs> yes, I know now. I see all the spots. See, I I know all of you better now over the years. Uh, and you're all a very perceptive group, and I enjoy this very much. Um, <laughs> I make it the dance very difficult for me um, because I so desperately want to answer your questions as a fan, fan to fan, and I appreciate it. Um, the Force is the core of Star Wars, and you have to be careful when you answer too many questions about it. Belief in the Force itself is part of what drives it. Not everybody in the Star Wars universe believes in it, which is interesting because its actions and abilities are on display quite often. So you think, well, why doesn't everybody believe in it? What's so hard about Han Solo that he doesn't believe in the Force when the Jedi Knights weren't so long ago as we find out in the prequels? Because it takes discipline and training and practice and commitment and faith to believe in this thing that it 
gives you power that flows through you. It's in all of you. You all have it. So some people, like Anakin, are more gifted. And that's great, and it's also dangerous. And I think that what we'll explore in season four, as we get to the depth of Kanan's commitment and Ezra's commitment to the Force, is that ultimate choice. Do you become more dangerous and fall to wickedness, or do you, in the face of fear, turn to good? Fear is the root of all evil. Fear destroys everything. Fear makes you make decisions you would not make. Fear makes you think you're making good decisions and they're poor decisions because you're afraid. And if you take nothing else away from sorrow, you should make no decision out of fear. And when the emperor stands before you and has destroyed your father, ruined your life, and you're powerless, and he's made you hate your father almost, and you throw him down, you must remember that that critical point to say, I'm gonna throw my weapon away because I love the person next to me, I love my father, I love my mother, and nothing you do can destroy that, nothing. And then you stand on your commitment, and then that inspires an Anakin, the hope, that inspires the love, which is something evil does not understand. That's the core of Star Wars, and that is the power that you can't possibly imagine when you're evil, that Obi-Wan speaks of. So maybe we'll get into that. Okay, Thomas Riddle, Star Wars in the Classroom, and I'm supposed to follow a question. That's that fine, we can talk about, you know, question marks or... No, so I appreciate what I appreciate what you guys do. Hey, um, what you what you said earlier about inspiring kids, inspiring us all, right? And I would just like to ask each of you, what characteristics of your characters do you hope will serve as inspiration to kids or all of us? For me, one of my favorite lines that Hera says, "We have hope." And um, there's something about that that I think we all need right now. I know I do. And um, I draw on Hera's strength in that capacity and her faith in, in the face of just impossible odds. She's always hopeful. And uh, I hope that kids carry some of that with them when they face their challenges. Um, and for me, I would, I would say that uh, Zeb, and with all his muscles, has to find <laughs> a place of vulnerability and trust uh, after uh, seemingly losing everything and uh, coming into the series with uh, nothing left to lose and then building relationships with his family and he, now he's got everything to lose. And I think just, just uh, I, I hope that kids walk away from this knowing that it's okay to be vulnerable and okay to trust and okay to have hope and, and okay to uh, see that there's something bigger in yourself, even in your darkest moments. It's hard to follow up uh, after either, both of those. Um, You're Mandalorian. Well, I was just thinking, uh, as you guys were talking, I don't know, it's a little different now that we have seen Sabine uh, interact with her family, her biological family, again, which we never had before, but for seasons one, two, and some three, um, you know, I, I often thought, like, I didn't know where her family was and what the situation was. I knew that maybe eventually we would get there, but I just thought, how nice, there are a lot of people out there whose families maybe 
their family situations aren't ideal for whatever reasons. Maybe they've been um, cast out of their families for whatever reasons, and just um, that 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 you can find that that family bond elsewhere. It doesn't have to be if, if your situation is uh, not ideal. There, you, you, there's hope for you still that you know this girl who was sort of on her own and bounty hunting or doing doing all kinds of you know. Uh, Lecherous behavior, I guess. I or graffiti art. Yeah, or graffiti art. I don't know. We don't all know everything she was up to. Found this like safe space with these people who are not her blood relatives, but through their shared, you know, struggle and um, you know this this shared cause that they became a family, like the tightest family, you know, the most the strongest bond a family could have. So, you know, just that there is hope out there for people that may be in similar situations. You might not be bounty hunting, but um, that you might be able to find that somewhere, even if it's not um, people that you thought you would have that with. Yeah, I would say, um, I, with Ezra, it depends where you break it down with what. I'd say his strength, really. I wish I was as strong as Ezra was when I was a kid. Um, I feel like that's something that it enables you if, you, if you have that strength and belief in yourself the way Ezra does, you can accomplish things that otherwise seem impossible. And with the youth, uh, empowering them, I think, is very important. And so I would say strength. Also, to piggyback what um, Stephen said, uh, the willingness to trust. And I mean, there are so many things, his independence. But uh, I narrowed down to Ezra's strength. I think that's very important for kids. Uh, Brian Young, Fulson. Um, Freddie in the panel talked about how sort of the defining moment for his character was in Trials of the Dark Saber, and that sort of defined his character. And, and as we look back at season three, and I'm wondering if you all could kind of tell us what it was you feel defined your characters as they changed through through season three. What was that moment for you as an actor or for your characters? Well, mine is easy. Same, so I'll just go with it. Um, yeah, the Trials of the Dark Saber, I think, you know, for Sabine is like a turning point. And up until that point, we had never, or she, she had never allowed herself uh, to be in this vulnerable place and certainly never allowed people that she let into her life and into her world see her in that sort of um, state. And so, um, you know, being, being faced with these new challenges, you know, before it was just like, let's fight the empire, let's let's mess up the empire. What do we have to do? Let's do it, and let's and let me do it in my artful, amazing way. But um, I had sort of a laser. Sabine had a laser focus on that, um, but she was also obviously hiding such pain um, and fragility so deep inside that she would have never allowed herself to like display. Uh, even in front of the people closest to her in her life. And so that moment, I think, is a, such a turning point. And, um, and it also, you know, it's a moment where she either has to be defensive and be sort of the way she's being initially with, you know, with Ezra and, and, and then trying not to allow herself to really, really dig deep and go to where she knows she needs to go. And it's like this moment, this like sort of pivotal moment where she she grows up in that moment and she knows what she has to do. 
and she takes control and she, 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 she faces her biggest fears and she's, she's willing to do it for the greater good and for the good of her families, both, both of her families. So, um, yeah, Trials with Dark Saber was a, was a moment for me and for Sabine, I think. I, I'll add to that just because I think it was a beautiful moment when Hera tells Cayman, you know, that you need to trust Sabine and this isn't about you. Um, for me, the actress, that moment meant a lot to me because it showed me just how close she is to Kanan. Because it's those who love you the most that can tell you what you don't want to hear. And um, I, I think she was very supportive of his relationship with Ezra and perhaps instrumental, but I think he needed someone to say, for him to, you know, release, uh, you know, what he needed to release in terms of, um, trusting that he is a good teacher and so on and so forth as he did with Ezra, hearing that it wasn't about him I think was key. And for me, I understood Hera uh, and her relationship with Kana the most in that moment. And uh, it meant a lot to me that she loved him enough to tell him that. So. Yeah, my, my big turning point happened in the previous season in, in a couple of ways, I think. Um, for all the jokes we made about Hot Callus, uh, that was a, a very profound, uh, time in the arc of my character just because I felt like Callus uh, was a mirror for him. He he got to look into the darkest places of himself that he, he hadn't previously been able to and saw it in the face of his enemy and uh, had to really deal with that. And uh, I I uh, reacted, that, reacted to that very personally because I did that at 40 years old in my personal life. And uh, to see that play out in a cartoon was a, a very profound Thanks, Dave, for helping me heal. <laughs> I'd say there were a handful of defining moments. I can think of one in season four, but I can't say that. Or I mean, I can. I don't know what would happen if I did. Never work again, though, kid. <laughs> but I would go. I would take it a different way and say I think watching through season three, how Sabine dealt with her family. It served almost as a role model for Ezra in seeing how she went back and took care of what she needed to take care of and her people and stood up for what she believed in and did what was right in that sense. And being able to see that somewhat removed, also aiding in that whole process, I think Ezra realized what his calling was and is and that he needs to go back to the place he's from and help out his people overall. And uh, I would say watching Sabine's trajectory through season three helped define part of who Ezra is and is becoming as well. Hi guys, um, Gary O'Toole from the Irish Star Wars podcast, Blab of the Hook. Uh, Dave, can you talk a little bit about the mindset of Thrawn going into this? Obviously as somebody who values logic and tactical awareness, he's come up against something that he just cannot comprehend in the sheer power of the Bendu. So has that had a profound effect on him in any way? And um, will we see a, a change from an adapted Thrawn almost? Thrawn in season four is operating from a position of victory. He, in his mind, is really set back and has wrecked the, the rebel fleet with a pretty crushing blow. He's also tempered their aggressive tendency, which you can see the after effects of all the way into Rogue One, where they're incredibly hesitant to actually fight on a bigger scale. It takes a lot to draw them out because they lost so big. Um, so 
I think it's interesting to see the effects of Thrawn, which is what you want. You want him to be a very important character and to be a villain that's affecting everything. So he's operating from a position of having total control of the fall now. And uh, the rebels, are, in some ways, are being deconstructed. They are trying to amass all of these ships. They're trying to amass all these starfighters. And one has to start to wonder what's going to be the point of that. Are they ever going to have as much, uh, even hardware as Thrawn, to fight with, and let alone his uh, tactical genius? The Bendu represents the Thrawn, you know, somewhat of an enigma. He doesn't really understand it. I think he would admit as much. He doesn't really have secrets like that. Uh, but he's trying to understand it. I think it, it's what drives his study of art. You know, he's like someone that uh, so badly wants to understand this greater thing, and he can't for whatever reason. He delves into the art. He, tactically understands it, but his, uh, you know, whatever connects emotionally, passionately, uh, perhaps what makes him a good tactician seems to not be there, so it'll be interesting to see where we go with that, but he is a very difficult villain to uh, beat. It will seemingly take a lot to do it, which I think is very fun. He's the first kind of arch-villain to survive a season. Vader came and went, you know, he's like, I'm out the door, and, uh, which is Vader, you know, Anakin. <laughs> Uh, and, but Thrawn is, is still there, and he knows they're a threat, but boy, he really kicked their butt. So, we'll see how that goes. Hi, Wes Carroll with iHeart Media over here. Um, I assume that you guys don't normally watch each new episode with the thousands of people, all crowd around rabbit fans. I may be incorrect. Well, when we watch it on TV, sort of. Right, and it's, <laughs> and it's not in the room, right? Well, not on the big screen, correct. <laughs> right. But I'd love to hear you guys uh, sort of uh, what that's like for you to be able to. I know as voice actors, sometimes you don't get any feedback at all, uh, other than maybe from Dave or whoever you're working with in the immediate room. But what that's like to get that kind of feedback on that large scale with such very fierce fans. It's the best. Yeah, it's yeah. the best feeling ever. The best part is that we have never. We each time this has happened at celebrations, we've never gotten to see anything up until the point at which you are also seeing the same thing. So I think it's thrilling for me, for us. I'll go ahead and, and it's cool because we're all making the same sounds, like Bo-Katan, we all like, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was screaming in the front row. I, I just assumed you were too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. older, I think. Sorry, I loved it. No, I loved it. Yeah, but, um, but that's, that's really rewarding and it makes me feel like we're family, which we are, so yeah. It's so weird for me because I, I knew it was going to happen. I saw pieces of it when I went up to see you, and and yet I was I yeah I was I was still I was still broken at the end of it. I I went back to full on fan full absorption mode, and I I was bent and broken by it, and and that's what I want to feel. I want to be that invested. So it was great to experience that with all of you guys. I felt you know like we that's an opportunity for us to just let it all go. Let everything that we know about the franchise go and just be uh, immersed. And also to get to watch it in that environment with, with the sound and the screen and all of you. And um, it reminds me what a cinematic experience Rebels really is. I mean, I know that when I'm watching it on my TV and sitting on my couch, but to get it, to get to see it in this capacity is like, you know, it's like a movie, you know, a movie every time you watch, which is a testament to you and all, you know, Bravo, Kevin yeah, Kleiner, yeah, the animators, and the whole
brain with that. How do we get so lucky to get so beautiful? No idea. I'm glad I didn't have a popcorn because I would have just devoured the entire thing. Oh, like, oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Well, what is it like for you, David? Because for us, like, we can remember ourselves and we're fans of it. And like, you, I, I just wonder that. Um, I mean, Sorry, I've, I've seen it so many times. But, uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm saying it's with, really, like, with everyone. It's, it's the greatest thing. I mean, I can't even express it. You, you always wonder. When you're writing this stuff, like, are people gonna laugh at that moment? Is that too brutal when Chopper hits that guy in the head with a gun? Oh no, they all laughed at that. Wow, that's kind of scary. <laughs> so, I learned a lot about the audience, and I, I wish that I had more of that, honestly. Like, it really helps as a creative to hear what people react to. You know, anytime Kanan and Hera lean in towards each other at all, the reaction is, is in the room. I'm like, wow, that's gonna. And so it's kind of fun because as an artist you want to play with those things and play with those emotions. I mean, I, I, I felt bad that, you know, in production the only episode that we could air here was the one I had, which is that one. Uh, season four is, you know, underway and we're working hard on it, but I didn't have more, I didn't have more of a positive ending. But, you know, narratively, Sabine did a terrible thing. And we've talked about since the first season this terrible thing that you did, why you're not with your family and how you're kind of ostracized from the rest of Mandalore. Well, you're getting, you're going to see the terrible thing that you did. And so what's great about our fans is that I think they get that and they get that when we take you to that place and we'll see how everybody deals with it from there, which is uh, coming out the other side of, of the darkness. But it had to be a terrible thing you did. It, you know, the best thing you do there is shoot it nicely, so it's beautifully terrible. And, Joel and the guys, uh, Keith, they do a great job with the animation and lighting. So, you know, I can give them anything and they can make it even more tragic but beautiful. Hi, everyone. Um, Jedi Tamar Patrick here. Hey. Uh, I know you've gotten a lot of questions about this stuff, so I wanted to ask about a different Clone character. Mm. Um, Captain Rex faced past a little bit last season, so I was wondering if you could talk about his mindset heading into season four. Yeah, good Rex. Um, I love that guy. He's been around the block, and I've, you know, this is nothing to do with season four, as I, you know, slightly evade you. But um, I've been amazed at how active all, so many ball cosplayers are playing him. They just love him, and they get right into the shape their heads. Like people seem to love that guy. He relates. Rex is like in a very real way the common man, the common soldier, and I've had. You know, people that have served in the military come up and talk about what it's meant to them, his story and the other clones and the trauma that they've gone through, and it's very real and it's helped them. So, you know, I think for Rex, the idea for me since Columbus has always been that he is the good soldier. He is the one that's actually fighting, not for the, you know, any politics of the situation, but for the people he's actually trying to protect. And his intention is good, always good, you know, and, and uh, honorable. He fights with honor. Uh, there's no waste there. There's no cruelty there. He's a good person and uh, a proud warrior. Uh, so I think you see that starting to follow because he's part of this rebellion now. Uh, he's actually probably, for the first time, if you think about it, fighting for something he actually believes in, not something he's programmed to believe in. He believed in a republic, but that republic didn't exist. The republic, because the Palpatine was a lie and he was created through a deception, but he's empowered himself, you know, and now he 
and peace becomes even greater because he's an individual making choices because he believes in something. And so I know Dee and I talk about this at length, you know, and uh, he's in season four, thankfully, and uh, we'll see where he goes uh, in that season. Hey guys, Eric Coleman from IGN. Hey. <laughs> uh, I had to ask, uh, you know, uh, Vanessa, a question for you, also somewhat for Dave. Uh, we've been wondering about where these characters would end up since the show began. Where are they during the original trilogy? Rogue One gave us an answer for Chopper and for Hera. Uh, so, first of all, uh, to our question, which is, what did you think about uh, the promotion of General Sindula? And then for you and for Dave, see how much you will reveal. Uh, should we assume that, you know, we we'll, might like, get to see that promotion before the end of the show? How much do you want to connect exactly to what we know about this one character? I was elated. Um, I, I couldn't feel my legs. <laughs> I think my mind exploded, um, you know, for the millionth time since being a part of this project. Um, that, that, <laughs> it was like a life insurance policy. <laughs> I was so grateful <laughs> to hear that, that she exists. And uh, I, I said uh, the other night in the Galactic Nights show that I like to believe that they were paging her because she was already warming up the ghost to go to Scarif and they didn't need to even ask her. She was, she was ready to go get it done. So that, that's my little fantasy. I have no idea if that's true. But, but anyway, I was elated. Yeah, I always thought you weren't in the briefing with Jim because you'd be like, listen to this woman, she knows what she's talking about, this is a terrible situation. Let's go! You should be going against the plans, like, you would grab her in the go, so I think that you were probably irritated because you knew what Jim wanted to do and you knew the, the council wasn't going to listen to her. So you weren't at the briefing and you get called in and all moms are like, okay, calm down. Yeah. And Hera's like, ah, here we go again with this. But. Um, yeah, the promotion is cool, I mean, right? She should be a general. She's really good, she has experience. Um, you know, those kind of things, I tend to play with the, uh, the ideas I saw in the movie. Lana becomes a general. I wouldn't expect a big fanfare thing about it. You know, for me, uh, he talks about the Battle of Tanab, and you kind of go, that must have been cool, and somebody else can tell that story. I love that stuff about Star Wars and the way George wrote it. I love that there's always a feeling of a bigger thing, so, um, and I'm pretty adamant that, you know, it's not something to me I'd do a whole episode on necessarily. Um, but we will see her, uh, because I'll, I'll give you this one, Goldman. I give before, she'll be a general before the end of the season, let's put it that way, you know, which I think is cool. Um, and I don't have much more to say about it. Hera's a really fun character, and uh, one of the reasons why originally I was going to have the narration of the trailer be uh, Kanan because the Jedi always seem to drive the story, but then I realized I was completely wrong, and it should be Hera as the mom, as the matriarch, as this uh, powerful woman who's put this all in play from the beginning. The rebels are her architecture, it's her framework. And uh, if anyone's gonna have the perspective on what they're all going through to the end, it's her. And so she really bookends that trailer because in her own way, she has used the force to draw them all together her force of will, her force of commitment, her bravery. Uh, so that's, and I really like that about uh, Hera and, and Vanessa. And she's read all our diaries too, so. Yeah, she knows. <laughs> all the guys. All right, guys, this is where I have to step in with this massive finish. Oh, I know. Oh, Tracy, no, I can't evade more. <laughs> Thank you guys.